0: This morning as I read from God's Word, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, I'll be reading verses 37 through 39 this morning, and this evening we're going to look at two of the great benedictions of Scripture. These benedictions are not blessings uninformed by truth, but are always built upon some truth about God and His work of redemption. I will focus on verses 37 through 39 this morning, but I want to begin reading in verse 31. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, and I'll read to the end of that chapter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, that is the Father and the Son, also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, what glories there are to be found in your word. What truths are to be found in your word. Lord, this morning that we might hear and not remain cold of heart but be moved Not shallow emotivism. But as we look and long and peer into your word. That we might discover rich truths. That shake us to our core. That warm our heart. That fill us with joy. It calls us to love you. All of this we ask that you would do by your spirit for you have made us. And unless we are resting in you, our hearts are restless. And so may we rest in you this morning. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Having been a week where we have spent A number of hours uh, in meetings, I thought that it would be best for me uh, to take a couple of sermons and texts that we have looked at in the past, Uh, these two sermons this morning and this evening belonging to a series as was the evening sermon last week, uh, to a brief series I did on doxologies and benedictions as part of a series entitled A Sacred Dialogue. That is what we find in worship. The Lord is talking to us and we are talking to him. Oftentimes we refer to this as a portion, as an aspect of worship, as covenant renewal. God is reminding us of what he has done for us, of who he is, and what he therefore calls us to. These benedictions are statements of blessing for those who are found in God. That chief benediction from Romans, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 6 The high priestly benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. You've heard it hundreds of times by now. And you should hear it all the time. It is given to those who in Christ Jesus find salvation for their souls. Also, it is my desire after I finish with the book of Revelation to move to the book of Romans. And now I'm so excited I'm like, I don't want to finish Revelation, but I'm really excited about starting a series from the book of Romans. Paul is not just writing doctrinal truths, but in response to this great doctrinal truth, and all of Scripture is inherently and categorically doctrine, ideas, thoughts, revelation, given to us by God, and so all of it is profitable, the Bible says, for teaching, for reproving, for rebuking, and training in righteousness, Second Timothy chapter 3. But as Paul moves through this doctrine, and I would encourage you to think, I've heard this passage. One of the reasons I read it slowly is because it is easy when you read quickly, and especially if you're familiar with certain texts, to just read it over One of the challenges I have when I read aloud, even if I'm reading to my kids, I will literally be reading on the page and having read five pages, been thinking about something else entirely, and I have no idea what I just read. And I can say to my children, what did I just read about? And they can almost say it verbatim. Children, you have glorious minds. Do not waste them. Fill them with good things. And there is nothing more glorious than the truths of which Paul speaks here in Romans chapter 8. The love of God in Christ Jesus that is tenacious, that is covenantally fixed. And because it is covenantally fixed before the foundations of the world were laid, before you were born and ever did any one good or evil thing, the Father gave to His Son... A, per, a peculiar, a special people. And he said to his son, These are yours. I give them to you as my beloved son. But those people rebelled. Man sinned. And so, in order for the son to possess a people, a bride, what must he do? He had to die. He had to solve the dilemma that sin brought into the world, into the hearts of men. That union was broken. That fellowship was thrust into despair and chaos. And so God, being rich in mercy, sent his son into the world that we might be justified. Justified here is a technical word. It is a robust theological word that simply means... Saved, delivered, counted righteous, made holy without stain or blemish. And it is this that Christ has done. And so if you are in Christ Jesus, you are free, Psalm 103 says. Your sins have been removed from you. And so before the throne, we are never counted unrighteous again. And if you were unmoved this morning by Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, I would invite you to read it again and again and again and again until the Spirit might, through the Word of God, work in your heart such a gratitude for what God has done for sinners that you cannot help but be moved. And when I say moved, I mean moved. Don't fake it. But plumb the riches and the depths of the beauty of God's word, and God will by his Spirit lend that jewel when you stay upon the rock. Now, this morning, I want us to focus especially on the benediction itself in light of what Paul has said prior to it. Paul has said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then he proves that point with the next statement He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's the surety of God's everlasting love. If you doubt for a moment that God does not love you, remember this. He gave his own son for you, not only to redeem you, but to prove the depths and the riches of his love for you. And despite persecution, verse 35, despite the tribulation and distress of Satan and the world, despite the things that we suffer as a result of the fall and of sin, despite, Paul says, even though we are killed and we are led to the slaughter, yet, yet, that conjunction that moves in a different direction despite reality, yet, and it is that which comes after the yet that I want to focus on under these three headings. The first, a benediction born of union. A benediction born of union. Second, nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us. And then lastly, blessed in Christ Jesus Blessed in Christ Jesus. Let's look at this first point a benediction born from union. Now, benediction always has an origin, a fount, and a source. Children, just like you wake up on Christmas morning, those gifts are under the tree. They got there somehow, and they did not, or they were not placed there by you. This is why they are called gifts, if you do gifts on Christmas morning. Parents, I hope I didn't make more trouble for you than I should have. (laughs) Or any gift. Maybe it's your birthday. Or maybe it's just a random occasion when you're at a store and you ask your mom or your dad, dad, will you get this little thing for me? Why are you asking? Because you cannot get it for yourself. Now, you may work for that very thing and save up your money, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about something that we can merit or earn or pay for. We are talking about something that must be not just a gift, but a gift from God. A benediction is a gift. Its origin, its fount, its source is not only God. But it is the everlasting love of God displayed to us through the work, the sacrificial work of Christ Jesus. And that is because the benediction that God gives to men always comes to sinful men. We cannot earn it, we do not deserve it. It comes freely, merited not by the work of men but purchased and merited by the sacrificial work of Christ upon the cross. This is the Gospel 101. And I would encourage you that when someone says, well, what is the Gospel, that you have an elevator pitch. And when I say elevator pitch, I mean they're getting off on the fourth floor and you're on the first floor. I don't mean 32 floors. It needs to be brief. It doesn't always have to be brief, but you need an eight-second answer. Not just to pass a licensure exam, which we got to hear a lot of at Presbytery this weekend. What is the gospel? And it's always fun to watch licentient and ordinate uh, uh, um, candidates try to think, all right, what can I say in a room full of ministers and elders that will wow them? (laughs) Don't do that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief, Paul says. Do you understand that about yourself? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ, the righteous one of God, was revealed in order to deliver us from our sins. And every benediction of God must come through the channel of the finished work of Christ Jesus. For these are benedictions here like this that belong exclusively to the children of God. There are other blessings that God does pour out even upon the unrighteous. We read in the scriptures that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are many blessings found in nature that the unrighteous enjoy, though they do not credit to God the source, that he is the source of those blessings. And they do themselves a great disservice. And they rob God of worship in essence. And so the path of every benediction. And benediction just means blessing. The decrees of God. The actions and revelations of God. Which turn to the blessings of God revealed in time and space. So that we see them and we respond. This is the order of benediction, God decrees something, he carries out that decree, we see it and we are told of it, and then we respond to it. Therefore, worship is at the end, in its order, of some kind of gracious act of God. We worship in light of what God has revealed to us. So last week, we saw doxology. Doxology is what? Praise the Lord. But that doxology issues forth from a heart that has received benediction. God blesses us, He decrees, He reveals, we respond. And so all benediction is always. Born of an eternal, powerful, and God wrought word. And so in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The chief of all God's revelatory goodnesses and graces is the Son of God made flesh. And this is what Paul has been talking about. Paul is not some stodgy theologian. How can you not be moved? He's writing these things, and despite even the persecutions that he has enjoyed, grounded upon the glorious doctrine of the eternal, everlasting, and unchangeable love of God that is displayed for us in Christ Jesus that justifies us is built this benediction. In Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. That is the all-important prepositional phrase. Through him who loved us. Paul locates the source of our blessing in the love of God displayed to us. And this is why the cross stands at the center of all Christian doctrine and religion. You can never move on from it You cannot go past it. You cannot ignore it. It is the central encounter of Pilgrim and Pilgrim's progress. And it is there at the cross that he lays down his burdens, understanding that the work, the walk, the life of the Christian is not done in human strength and effort. It is solely done and accomplished through the strength and the redeeming work of Christ upon the cross. This is what Luther means when he speaks of the theologian of the cross that we are in Christ Jesus loved and we understand the love of God through the cross of Christ Jesus. It all comes through the cross and so all blessing, all strength, all wisdom, all riches are made effectual because of Christ's redeeming work for us. That is why I say that benediction is born from union. Our union with Christ. Because we have been given to him by the Father. Now we do not experience the fruit of that union until we have been in time and space called and justified and made alive. We are not eternally justified, but we are eternally united And when our hearts are made new, we are able for the first time to see the love of God and rejoice in it. Our hearts are transformed. And that is why the benediction is ultimately only able to be rightly received by those who have been transformed. Because we see it as it is. It means something to us. So that when the Christian reads, For I am persuaded, verse 38... I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, you know what that's about. Because you are in the fight. You are laboring for the work of the kingdom. And as you labor for the glory of God, there will come those who are under the influence of Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil, devil, and they will come against you, and there will be conflict. You, The temptations in your heart, these things will come against you. And there will be times where you are lying in bed at night, and you may say, Am I a Christian? You will be tempted to despair. Have I done enough? I should have said something, and I didn't say something. I shouldn't have lied. And all of these things come as accusations against you. What are you to remember? Well, you know that one time, many years ago, I walked that aisle. No! What? 2,000 years ago, Christ died for my sins. Every single last one of them. As we sing... They have been nailed to the cross. Christ died for them. This is one of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Because you and I, dear saints, we have very short memories as it relates to the glory and grace of God. We really remember our own successes and failures. But how short is our memory for the glory and mercy of God? So these benedictions aren't just for you on Sunday. They are for every day. Let Romans 8, 37 through 39 be something you carry around with you all the time, for it will help relieve that burden. Second point, nothing can separate us. Paul is writing to those who were once separated. He is writing to Gentiles. Those of whom he said earlier were once separated, but have now been brought near. Now, again, we go back to this concept of union that the Father gave to the Son in eternity past, which is a strange thing enough to say, a peculiar people. When I say peculiar, I'm not saying you're peculiar, though many of you are, because I know you well enough to be able to say that, but then again, so am I. Right? People are strange when you're a stranger. (laughs) Peculiar means set apart. Israel was set apart as they were moved through the Red Sea. Baptism is the sign and seal of our being set apart. We are peculiar. We are uniquely beloved. The word that Paul uses in Romans 8 is elect. The elect is that number of those whom the Father has given to the Son. And then, in time and space, within the boundaries of the created world, the Father sends the Spirit into our hearts, our souls, where the Spirit applies the redeeming work of Christ and we are made new. That is the saving grace of God described. And each person of the Godhead has a role to play. And Paul is writing to those who had not heard that, Until they had heard that. That Christ has come to tear down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile by bringing in his flesh, in his sacrifice, and making of two one. So that in Christ Jesus, there is no distinction. It is not the end of physical distinction, it is the end of covenantal distinction. The Jew and Gentile through Christ Jesus are the same as our man and woman. Greek, Jew. Rich, poor. Those real external distinctions. And then there is no distinction as it relates to those who are now shown and called. And the great evidence of this is that the Spirit of God has been poured out over all the earth. You and I are evidence of the truth that Paul is reveling in. And the change, as I've said already, Paul says in Ephesians 2... And he came, that is Jesus, and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, how does Christ preach to Gentiles and to the you of Ephesians? He never went to Ephesus. He never preached to these people. How does Christ preach to you? And I mean you. Through me. Through me. Through preachers, not just through the apostles' ministry, but through the ministry of the apostles that continues down through the church, through the small a apostles, those who proclaim God's word. It is through hearing the word of God preached that you and I are brought into covenant fellowship. And this is something unique about the new covenant though there were a handful of Gentiles here and there that were part of the Old Testament people of God like Rahab and those Gentiles that came with the Jews out of Exodus that were counted among the number and others as well. You and I are the result of the opening of the floodgates of the grace of God as the Spirit on the day of Pentecost has now been poured out upon the whole world. And it will result in the filling of the halls of heaven. For the transforming power of God is greater than the deceiving power of the devil. It will be standing room only. So what has changed? How is it that those who were once separated are now part? Because Christ has come. This is what Christ has done. And again, this is the foundation for this benediction. Such that through Christ's work, nothing can separate us. In fact, what angel, what principality, what power? There are nations that have established edicts against the church. In fact, in your bulletin, uh, there is a... An update on the work of the gospel in East Asia. Read it. There's some interesting words in there. If you need help, I'll explain it. why they are written the way they are. One of the updates speaks of a young man who's studying for seminary, and he could not make it to his exam. He couldn't finish his last two assignments because he was put in prison. Kids, you don't have any excuse to not finish your homework. Sorry, teacher, I'm in jail. <laughs> it feels that way sometimes at home, doesn't it? That's not what I'm talking about. But in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. As Paul writes to Timothy, I may be bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. Christ's coming and Christ's power is great. And then only like that but Christ promises something us in John something to us in John 6 that all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Is that not glorious? That when the word of God goes forth to the nations and you in your heart hear it and receive it and say I want to run to Christ, know this, he will not turn you away. There need no longer be separation. When you hear the word, believe it. Because Christ makes of sinful men, holy men, reconciled to the Godhead. And so this list of things, let's look at them. Death. Death. Do you fear death? The reason why you fear death is probably for one of two reasons, or both. You love your life more than you should and you cling to it too fastly. Or there is sin in your life that makes you regret the idea of dying too young. Both of those problems can be dealt with through the blood of Christ. Number one, remember this, God has numbered your days. And he will give you the life that he has determined to give you. And with the days that you have been given, do this, purpose this. This is what Edwards write: That I would do no such thing that if I had just done it and the trumpet blasts and Christ's return, that I would be embarrassed or regretful that I had done that thing. Benedictions are not just means of comforting us in a vacuum. The benedictions of God are meant to encourage us to do walk, walk in holiness. I meant to say, to do what? Walk in holiness. Death cannot separate us. Neither can angels. And angels are more powerful than we are. What is Satan? He is but an angel. Nor can the powers of earth. Nor can anything present or what is to come. Do we fear the future? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with prepping. But at some point, you can only prep so much. And there will come a day where you realize, I didn't train for this. I didn't prepare for this. But that cannot separate you. Nor are there physical dimensions of height or depth. Psalm 139, David writes what? Even if I go to the very depths of earth, to the very bottom of the deepest place on earth, I cannot escape and when Paul says, the, I mean, David says the deepest places of earth, he's not really talking about a physical place. He's talking about a sort of condition of the heart that looks like absolute separation from God. There is nowhere you can go to flee from the presence of God. And for the unbeliever, this is great terror. For the believer, it is what? It is absolute comfort. Children, do you fear the. Day or that time in the day when the light gets flicked off, and your parents are trying to close the door a little bit. Don't close the door! Leave a light on in my bedroom. Where does that fear come from? And your parents may say, Well, your fear is irrational. (laughs) Well, then you go walk down the street in a city like Chicago and you tell me, right? All fear is irrational because all of it denies the sovereignty of God on some level. But why do we have fear? Because we don't want our lives swallowed up and taken away from the ones who love us. We want our parents ever present to protect us. And the promise of Christ's cross is just that. There is nowhere you can go. There is nothing you can experience. Even death, even the bodies of the saints, when they are put in the ground, the promise is what? One day, those bodies will be raised. And their souls will go to be with God. And that leads me then to my final point. That ultimately, as you've seen, all blessing comes in Christ Jesus. This is a Christocentric benediction. That it is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And yet what do we do? So often we, like sheep, go astray and we seek the benedictions of this world because they are easier to get, it seems. They are more readily felt, it seems. And they actually give us satisfaction because our hearts still struggle with sin. And so much of our sinning is often seeking that, which is a parody of the true promises and benedictions of God. And this is how Satan often operates. He looks at the things that God has promised to his covenant children and he says, I know how to get them. I will offer those very things, but on my terms. In fact, when Christ was tempted at the beginning of his earthly ministry, in those 40 days, when he was deprived of food and hungry and weakened, Satan came to him. Why then? Because he was weak. He was weak in his human nature. And Satan didn't come to him and say, I'm going to beat you up if you don't worship me. He said what? He promised to Christ all the things that the Father had promised to Christ. But as a lie, A, not able to actually give him those things, but B, as a pagan, wicked parody... Of those promises. It's the same thing he did to Adam and to Eve. He lied. He deceived. And where Adam and Eve were deceived. Christ remained fast. Why? Because he stood upon the word of God. These benedictions. Are armor to our souls. And we must always remember this. The reason why they are armor is because Christ is raised. These would not be blessings if it were not for the resurrection. And so when we look at John, the Gospel of John, where John says, Behold, I hold you in the palm of my hand. Or in the book of Isaiah, that as the Lord speaks to the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the church, he says, I am like a nursing mother. And even a nursing mother would forget her child before I forget you. Behold, you are engraved upon my hands. And then Thomas, and as he's there with the scared disciples, and when the disciples see Jesus, they believe, but Thomas says, I don't know about this. And what does Jesus say? Get away from me, you doubting Thomas, no. He says, come here. Feel this. Feel here. What do you feel? He didn't just feel the scars, the testimonies of Christ's redeeming work. He remembered all that Christ had said, and he believed. This is how we are to think of the benediction. It is a testimony of, a repeated refrain of God's special love for us. And not just love as it exists, but love communicated on deep, lengthy, substantial terms. And the depth of the love of God for us is related to the distance of the sins that he removes from us. In Psalm 103, we hear this assurance of pardon a lot at Reformation. And it's not because I can't find other scriptures where there are not assurances of pardon. It's because Psalm 103 is a psalm that is essentially Christian liturgy. But in verses 8 through 12, remember we read, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, that means rebuke for sin nor will he be angry forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The length, the extraordinary depth of our acquittal is connected to the eternal Grace of God that can never be quenched so what then is our part well to turn aside from the blessings of the world and to seek blessing in Christ Jesus it requires repentance stop seeking the world's blessing repent and be baptized seek not the blessings of the world but the blessings of God that are found in Christ Jesus and once you have done that What? Don't stop. Continually remind yourself and be reminded of this glorious truth. Think upon the reality of knowing and being loved by Christ and how you got to where you are. If you begin to see pride creep into your heart, read Romans 8, and pray that God in his mercy may crush that little idol of pride of idolatry, of coldness of heart. If you do not know this love, this blessing, then embrace it. Surrender to it. Seek the blessing of Christ. Listen. Really listen. And in hearing these glorious words, words of God's redeeming, eternal, unquenchable love, take heart in Christ, for he is our redeemer. Let's pray.